sit down. And Simon is going to come and read to us the story of Pentecost with that wonderful list of names. Good luck, Simon. And then Adam is our preacher this evening. The reading this evening is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were people staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Simon. Excellent job. It's a gloriously uh, long reading, so you might want to pray for a gloriously short sermon. Uh, Shall we pray together? Gracious Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the richness of it. And Lord, as we come before you now to uh, think about it, to remember that day and to think about its impact for us today, would you draw close to us by your spirit? Would you help us to know that you're with us? Would you guide us? And would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. I wonder if any of you have ever had uh, this situation happen to you. Um, most of you know I met my wife, Jess, about uh, seven years ago now in Bristol. And uh, about I like to think by that point, I was about 25, I like to think I was a fairly well-rounded individual. I'd sorted my life out and I was fairly respectable um, by that point. And uh, I decided that uh, we would, uh, I would introduce Jess to my family. Uh, so we went up to the Lake District uh, to meet them. And on the first morning, I came down to breakfast to find Jess at the table um, with my sister. Uh, my sister had the biggest grin on her face, and Jess had a look of more than concern about her. Now, as I moved closer to the table, I realized they were looking at something, and it was in fact a photo album with this photograph showing in it. You're allowed to laugh. It's okay. Um, I should explain that it was the fashion, I promise, uh, when I was uh, 16 to dye your hair blonde. Unfortunately, because of the darkness of my hair, it came out slightly more ginger than it did uh, blonde. But never mind. I think we can probably take that photo away again now. Uh, thanks, Martin. Uh, <laughs> um, my appalling fashion choices are not the point that I'm trying to make here. You'll be pleased to know. But this was the point in my life when, my, when uh, not the first time, but when two worlds collided. The world that I'd grown up with, my childhood with my sister and my parents, and the, uh, the world that I was growing and building with Jess. These two worlds uh, collided. And maybe you can think of examples in your own lives when this has happened, maybe at uh, uh, college or, and, uh, and church, your, those two worlds have collided, maybe work and church, uh, maybe when you were younger, when you were at school, school and home. Um, this happens to us quite regularly, I think, in, in daily life. Maybe we saw something of this at the royal wedding yesterday, where the world of show business collided with the royalty and the, uh, and the, and, uh, the pomp and circumstance, perhaps, of, of that occasion. The whole point of Pentecost for the church is that it is two worlds colliding. In this, in this instance, it's the worlds of heaven and earth coming together and meeting in that place. Uh, truthfully, in the first century, just as it is for us today, there wasn't an expectation that the two worlds would ever mix. Uh, we were very happy on earth, and God uh, resides in heaven, where He's happy for Him. We're happy for Him to stay. Thank you very much. Um, what we see, however, in this passage, is the Holy Spirit moving through through His power. Luke describes the event as a sound like a violent wind. And they see what appears to be tongues of fire falling and resting on them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in, uh, in different tongues or different languages. These are experiences that maybe feel natural. Uh, wind is a natural experience. Uh, fire and speech are all things we experience in the natural but actually, they, had a, they were supernatural in their origin and their character. Pentecost was already a Jewish festival. It was the equivalent of our harvest festival. But it was also the time of year when they celebrated Moses having come with the Ten Commandments. And I think it's fitting then that God brings this new way of interacting with his children on this day. Just as the Ten Commandments are part of the always word of God... So what we see happening on this day is not meant to be a once-for-all event. I've said this uh, here before, but pre-Pentecost, the presence of God was for particular people at particular times and for a particular purpose. Post-Pentecost, 
the presence of God is here for all and is permanent and powerful. I once sat uh, with some older friends of mine um, who told me that they were definitely not charismatics. And as a consequence, they were going to be leaving the church uh, that we were a part of at the time. Now, as I talked to them over lunch, I discovered that very regularly they prayed for people who were unwell. And on occasions when they prayed for people who were unwell, they saw that person healed. They also told me that very occasionally they would sense God point them to a passage of scripture for somebody and pass that on to them. Uh, very occasionally they would say they, that on one occasion they had a picture for someone, a prophetic picture that they gave to someone as part of their prayer. These are people who told me they weren't charismatics uh, in their nature. What they meant when they said that uh, was that they had never spoken in tongues. Now, let me be absolutely clear here, because I've heard rumors about this in the past in Christian circles. If for some whatever reason you have never spoken in tongues, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, it doesn't mean that you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't mean that you're not a charismatic. It just happens that that particular gift is not one that God has given you for this particular season of your life. The gift of tongues is just another of the many gifts that we read about throughout Scripture. Paul uh, writes about them in a number of places. In Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians particularly, he says this. Uh, to one there is given through a, the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith. Uh, to another healing. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. Um, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and the interpretation of songs. All these are the work of the one in the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. He goes on a little bit later to say, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in his church, first of all, apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracles, uh, then the gifts of healing, the gifts of help, the gifts of guidance, that's often known as the gift of administration, it's translated as, the gift of different types of tongues. And then he says, are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gift of healings, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Now eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Um, so the gifts of the Spirit are numerous um, and each equal to one another. And each one sees the power of God working through them when we see it. And on that first Pentecost, we see this power working through the disciples. Now, in this instance, it was the gift of tongues that the power exhibited itself through. Now, we can perhaps be a little bit surprised by this uh, reading in Acts, I think. Uh, often when we know people or if we speak in tongues ourselves, it's often not a specific language that we hear when those around us do this. It's more like perhaps a heavenly babble of praise uh, that we hear. Uh, we read in Corinthians, Paul, a bit later on, Paul's advice for worship. And he talks about this heavenly babble of praise when he talks about the gift of tongues. Now, for those that speak in tongues as part of their regular prayer life, there's often no expectation that well, anyone will understand the prayers that they're offering through them. But there are, however, well-attested times, both in ancient history and in modern times, of people being able to speak in a language that's not their own and, and, uh, and being understood by others around them. 
Uh, 14 or 15 years ago, uh, I was nominally responsible for the youth work in a church in Lancaster. Um, And some of the girls from the local secondary school had some Christians staying with them from India. And they asked if we could have a prayer meeting together, so we did. uh, And we decided to get into a circle and all pray out loud uh, together that we do that sometimes here. One of the girls from Lancaster uh, started to pray in tongues as she felt led by the Spirit. And what was really interesting was to watch the faces of the girls from India um, who just turned to her in utter amazement. The words that were coming out were in their particular dialect. They were st- the words she was speaking were from her language. Now, um, I, neither I nor any of the theologians that I study can give you a good explanation for that other than God can do whatever God wants to do. It's not up to us to set boundaries in his way. God can and does reach out uh, with the gospel when it needs to impact a particular person or a particular group of people, just as it did in that meeting for those girls, just as it did for the girl from Lancaster who had never been even out of Lancashire in her life, let alone to the other side of the world. Now, as I say, often, however, when we think about the gift of tongues, we often hear it described as this heavenly language. Last week, Tom said that um, it was a gift that he'd really wanted, and uh, he'd uh, thought it was really cool, and so therefore decided that he'd pray for it quite a lot. Uh, And he decided that actually, in the end, it was because he needed to grow, be a bit bit more mature in his outlook on gifts uh, before that gift would uh, be given to him. Now, I preached about, uh, about this passage on Pentecost exactly three years ago, uh, and when I uh, preached then, I said that at that point, I have never been given the gift of tongues. And I again made the reassurance that it didn't mean I wasn't a Christian, it didn't mean I wasn't charismatic, it didn't mean uh, that I hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit, it was just that that gift had not been given to me. Now, as some of you will know, God has given me at least a small gift in the prophetic. Um, Often God will speak to me uh, even in a small way uh, as, as I pray. Um, I went to a gathering of church leaders in uh, March of this year that was being led by a friend of mine. And about halfway through his time of speaking, he sensed that he needed to pray for something. Something had happened outside the building and he just wanted us to pray for it. And so he stopped the meeting and said, can we just pray, preferably out loud, preferably in a tongue for this situation? Now, I'm afraid to say that in that moment, I didn't do as my friend had asked. I didn't pray. Instead, what I did was had a little conversation with God that went something along the lines of this. I said, God, why is it that all of these people around me are praying in tongues, and yet you have never given me this gift? I sense God say, Adam, are you eagerly desiring it? And because I'm a bit proud, I said, of course I'm eagerly desiring it. I wouldn't be asking you uh, why you haven't given me this gift if I'm not eagerly desiring it. Why haven't you given me this gift? Again, just gently, I sense the Lord say, Adam, are you sure you're eagerly desiring this gift? We read a moment ago uh, one of the occasions when Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He says it a bit later. We've got them both on the screen, I think. Um, the, the, it says it again, follow the ways of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So I sat and thought about this for a little while, and I think if I'm honest with myself, and as I was then, I'm not entirely sure I had eagerly desired this particular gift. If I'm honest, I probably found it, thought of it as a little bit pointless and a very, a, a quite a lot weird. Um, 
if you read a bit, a bit later in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 14, you can read that Paul is, could be considered to be fairly disparaging of the gift of tongues. He says he'd rather give five words um, of intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, I share this with you because my attitude towards the gift, that particular gift at that time, was not right. Whether it's the gift of tongues or prophecy or wisdom or any of the other gifts, if we consider one or the other one to be a bit weird and to not be something that we want, then we've misunderstood the meaning of that gift. We've misunderstood what it is to eagerly desire it. God doesn't bestow on us the gift of nine heads and green flaky skin. He bestows on us good gifts, things that he wants to, us to eagerly desire, and he wants them to, us to have them because we, they will bless us. We're called to eagerly desire these gifts in order that they will work in us in his power and also work through us. And so, back to that meeting, I repented of, of this wrong way of thinking and I came before the Lord and I asked again for the gift of tongues. And just a moment later, a language became to come out of my uh, mouth, which I didn't understand. I couldn't really um, explain. It felt like it grew out of my, uh, my gut uh, as I f suddenly found myself praying in tongues for the first time. Now, I appreciate I've talked an awful lot about the gift of tongues in the last uh, five minutes or so. I've done that on purpose because I sensed it was something that God wanted me to talk about this evening. Um, but I just want to be absolutely clear. What's happening in our passage in Acts here is not simply God giving the gift of tongues out uh, to, his congregation, uh, to his church. What's happening in this passage is that is a new creation is being formed. His power is being sent out in so many different ways. Peter, in uh, response to this, uh, uh, gives this fantastic sermon that goes on beyond where Simon read uh, to the end of sec the second chapter. And here, Peter's almost certainly exhibiting another spiritual gift, that of wisdom, as he delivers this sermon. He quotes Joel, the prophet Joel, and says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will see wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Peter is quoting Joel here as an explanation of what could otherwise be considered quite bizarre behavior that's going on. Peter's connecting it with the powerful things that Joel prophesied would happen. That God is pouring out his spirit in this new way. In this sudden burst of fresh energy released through the death and the resurrection of Christ. God's spirit is poured out upon a lot of people all at once. Where these two worlds have collided, heaven and earth have collided. And you'll note in Joel's prophecy here, there's no discrimination between slave and free, between male and female, between young and old. This work of God is wonderfully inclusive because there's no category of people who are left out. But it's also wonderfully focused. It says a little later because um, it says a little later, it's for all who call on the name of the Lord. So being saved then doesn't just mean, as it does uh, for many, going to heaven when we die. It means knowing God's rescuing power in our lives. 
This wasn't just a prophecy for then, it's a prophecy for now. We are in those last days. We don't know how long they will last or when Jesus will return. But we're in that period. We should be seeing visions. We should be prophesying. We should be dreaming dreams. We should be seeing signs of God's kingdom power and reign on the earth, just as we saw in this passage 2,000 years ago. I wonder what stops us from seeing this and seeing God move in his power. Firstly, I suspect we're our own worst enemy. Certainly I was in the case of the gift of, uh, of tongues. I think something of our Britishness, perhaps, gets in the way of us receiving God's power. We can often be very reserved, sometimes maybe acting if more like God is some sort of cosmic cash machine who we go to with our petitions, rather than someone with whom we should be in relationship and growing in intimacy with. We see this in relationships with one another, don't we? If um, we refuse for some reason or another to grow in intimacy with somebody, we never move below the surface. We never move below asking about the weather. Now, there may well be really good reasons uh, for this, particularly with one another, but we need to push past this with God. We need to push ourselves beyond our natural reserved nature and more into God's presence. Just as an example, I want to briefly think about the way that we worship uh, uh, as individuals in response to this intimacy with God. We sing songs here often like um, Spirit Break Out or Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours. What is it that we're thinking when we sing those songs, I wonder? Are we truly expecting God's Spirit to break out amongst us? What would happen if God did break our heart for the things that break his? Uh, just to exemplify this point, I just want to look at this clip uh, together. Let's watch this. I will sing of your love on Sundays Only sing of your love on Sundays Sing of your love on Sundays Then this feeling is gone by Monday I surrender some <laughs> I surrender some Jesus, I will give you little I At my hairdo, my stylist outdid herself. I lift my hands and see my nails. They match my eyes oh so well. Yeah, you are allowed to laugh. It's okay. I enjoy that. And it's obviously a caricature, um, but actually... It's funny, but it's also a little bit terrifying, I think. Because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves doing that in our worship. I remember a few months ago, I went to a different church. Uh, it does happen occasionally. Um, and as I went in, I was in a not a particularly good place that day. Something had happened before I arrived that had occupied most of my thoughts. And as I went into the worship space and we began to sing, um, whilst I was singing the words with my lips, what was going through my head was the situation that had happened earlier in that day. 
Uh, now, unfortunately, I realized this fairly early in, and I again repented and said sorry to God, and I brought myself back into that space where I could worship him. Now, um, in a little dull, uh, lull in the music, someone shared a tongue out loud, and this was more of the kind of, uh, hev- uh, of a language, another language, than it was the heavenly, uh, the babble that we were talking about. And as they spoke, um, God spoke to me and gave me the translation, which I was able um, to share. Now, what would happen if I'd not allowed myself to engage in that service? to not be part of what was going on. I wonder whether God would have been able to speak to me through those thoughts that were in my head, uh, that were occupying my mind. We need to be focused on God in our worship, allowing it to be a time of real intimacy, of growing in our relationship with him. Uh, Just an example of this and how I've moved in this. I used to find it really strange uh, when people would dance in church. I used to not understand it at all. But I've come to realize that it's actually them exhibiting this relationship, this intimacy that they have uh, with God in that. So much so that actually I've gone 180 degrees on it. I'm now, it warms my heart when I see people doing this. I really enjoy it. And actually, um, it says something about where I am if that distracts me. Um, And so actually, I should be focused just as they are in their worship of God. This is nothing new. Any of you that were choristers at any point in your life may well know the chorister's prayer, read in the 1930s. It says, Lord, grant that what we sing with our lips, we may believe in our hearts. I wonder what else stops us uh, from moving in God's power. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question, why is it that Jesus tells the disciples to wait? He says it at the beginning of Acts and says he's going away, but to wait and the Father will send uh, the Holy Spirit on him. Why is it that there's 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost? I think that God calls us to wait even now. Um, we often say, oh, you need to wait on the Lord, but often that's in response to something bad that's happened. But actually, I think God calls us to wait in good times as well as in bad times. I think this is because God, it reminds us that it's God's power and not ours. Waiting is humbling. Waiting is an act of surrender. Waiting is an act of dependence. And God gives his power to those who are humble, who are surrendered, and who are dependent on him. And why does he give us this power? Well, I suspect there are many answers uh, to this. Firstly, I suspect it's because we're his children. It says in Matthew's gospel that he gives us good gifts. He longs for us to know these good gifts as his children and to be known by them. I also believe that he gives us these gifts in order for us to use them in the world. Um, Bill Hybels, an American uh, pastor, says that the local church is the hope of the world. I think this is true. We don't have to think for very long to know that the world is in need of hope. And the only power, the only hope that can transform lives is the power of God and the love of God through the Holy Spirit. We as a church are carriers of this hope, of this power, and we're given it in order that we might go into the world and share it. We're to do it in God's time and in God's power, obviously, but we are to do it. 
If you read towards the end of Acts 2, um, you read that 3,000 people respond to the sermon that um, Peter gives and what they see on that first Pentecost. The Spirit of God comes in his order to show his power to the world. So what does uh, Pentecost teach us for today then? I imagine quite a lot. God moved in his power on that first Pentecost as he does with us today. We need to engage with him. Sometimes we need to wait on him. And once we know that power, we should be going out into the world to share it with those that don't. I wonder if you'll stand with me just as the band come back. I'm going to pray in a moment, but before I do, I want to share some words of um, John Stott that he wrote a number of years ago. You might not know who John Stott is. He was uh, vicar of All Souls Langham Place and a a great theologian. He wrote many uh, fantastic books. I can highly recommend him to you. But he said this, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness or character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. I wonder if we just have a moment of um, silence. Lord, we are here before you and we wait on you. Would you come by your Holy Spirit, we pray and minister to us.